and welcome to yet another edition of Through Imperial Eyes. My name is Brayden Ledbetter. I'm your host. And I'm your co-host, Jackson Daylene. Welcome to the show. And we are here to review Claudia Gray's Into the Dark, the newest High Republic novel. Um, we'll get into that a little bit later in the show. We have a little bit of news to get to. But Jackson, what have you been up to this week? Um, not a whole lot. Uh, I've mainly been working and then I got trapped by an ice storm. So I was able to finish yep. Into the Dark, uh, which was good. Um, we'll definitely talk a lot about that. I'm trying to think, what else have I done kind of Star Wars wise besides my casual Battlefront 2? Um, I watched Attack of the Clones on Valentine's Day. Ooh, nice. After my girlfriend fell asleep, but like I still got my good Anakin Padme yeah. content. So, yeah, there you go. So, yeah, what about you? I, um, I finally finished my, my saga watch through. Amazing. I watched The Rise of Skywalker again and I cried. <laughs> I'm probably um, going to watch it here soon again. Yeah, it's just that film for some reason like moves me in ways that a lot of other Star Wars films don't for some reason. But uh and then <laughs> this isn't Star Wars related, but we started the uh the Twilight Film Saga watch through nice. because I I made her sit through Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, that's only that's only fair. <laughs> they're not they're not good. They not not even a little. What which one are you on? I've never. I've only seen the first two, but I'm on. I, we just finished the third one. They're like still ridiculous, but like the, at least the later ones are a little better, like production wise. <laughs> well, thanks for t- tuning in to Twilight Talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. We're rebranding everything now. Yeah. Well, we got some news to cover before we get into our review. Um, can you go through our uh, our first story that we have this week? Uh, so our first one this week is, uh, oh, this was actually trending today as well. I say yep. today as uh, February 16th. Uh, Soraya Wilson confirmed uh, that a conversation with Ryan Johnson uh, happened that is essentially he he is still doing his Star Wars trilogy. He is like he is. Uh, nothing has changed. Nothing is going to be reworked or nothing it's literally like he's just gonna make his own trilogy and honestly yes. that's kind of awesome i'm down for it i'm so happy that this has been confirmed because i was so worried that they would just throw this one away because of like all of the last shit i hate and um there was a lot of talk early on that it was going to be like a old republic kind of thing that'd be cool which that's still not out of the ballpark but i think he's just literally going to write his own original story in some timeline we've never visited before. I think, I think that would be really cool. I think, uh, I don't know. I feel like he might stay in the sequel trilogy era. Really? Uh, I think, I think it's perfect because he can just kind of do whatever he wants without big Disney execs breathing down his neck, telling him what he's got to do to set up the next movie. Whereas he can just, fully creative control just kind of do well, whatever that was he the wants thing about the last jedi is he did not he didn't have disney telling him what to do is he had complete free reign to do whatever he wanted oh, then i'm he just dead even, wrong about everything he <laughs> didn't even have he didn't even have to try to set up episode nine because the way they did the sequel trilogy is jj wrote his movie and then they had ryan write episode eight off of jj's script and they would have colin trevorrow write episode nine oh, off see. of and ryan's it was, script it was all trevorrow yeah yeah um, and then they fired Trevorrow, all that happened, and uh, the rest is history. But what do you think we can expect from this trilogy? Again, you said you'd think it would be somewhere in the sequel era. What do you want to see? Um, I don't know what I want to see, but I want something completely new. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I want, I want char- new characters, I want, yep, new places, new, planets, new planets. Yeah, everything. Yeah. I want it all new, and I, I want it to almost 
give us this uh, side of Star Wars that um, has been known into the galaxy, has been known, but it's stuff that we haven't necessarily seen, exploring different kinds of uh, occupations and uh, just kind of cultural differences, which I think think that's really cool. I think Ryan Johnson will be able to get a lot of really cool detail into building these movies. When do you think we'll see a release on these tril- this trilogy? Uh, I guess the question is, is he actively working on it or is it just That's kind the of thing, like... I don't know. He just confirmed that it's still happening and it's been... They're, they're still it happening, was announced, yeah. It was announced in 2017 before The Last Jedi was even released. I think he's also doing a Knives Out too. so yep. he, I he wonder also if, said that too. I wonder if he'll kind of uh, do those simultaneously. And, I don't know. I would say the next 10 years. We'd probably yeah, have it all by the next maybe 10 it's years. That, uh, maybe it's that 2027 release that they, uh, they had with that weird <laughs> slate they had like yeah, right. a year ago that said like 25, 27, and 20. And like, I think it was 29 or something. I don't remember. Anyway, uh, moving on, um, there has there is a pretty big rumor out right now that Republic Commando, the old Xbox game from like 2003 or something, is coming to Switch. Did you ever play Republic Commando? I didn't actually. I want to, but I haven't. I've never. I've never played it. Uh, the only experience I have of Commando clones are uh, in Clone Wars. They're actually in Star Wars Battlefront too, which is cool. Yeah, I really hope they go the route of taking a lot of these beloved old Star Wars games and up, like at least releasing them on newer platforms so it could be introduced yeah. to people that have a Switch and a PS5 and a yeah, Xbox, I think, whatever. I think that'd be cool. Just kind of make it to where it's compatible. If that's the case, I want it for PlayStation. Yeah, if that's the case, give me that. Give me that old Obi Wan Kenobi game. Give yeah. me that. Give me the yeah, original give me the Battlefront original, games. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, give me all that goodness. Um, what what's next? Up next, we have actress uh, Janina Kavankar, who played Iden Versio in the Star Wars Battlefront Two campaign. Uh, was kind of tweeting around, not really much. It was one tweet, but someone had asked. Uh, so what's Iden Versio up to around the time of the Mandalorian asking for a friend? And she replied, tagging the two main uh, screenwriters of the Star Wars Battlefront two script. And uh, they also worked on um, the Star Wars Squadrons campaign. And uh, I know one of them is working on the new Arkham Knights with Rocksteady, which is a new Batman game uh, and essentially tagged these two writers um, and said, want to let them know. That was it. Nothing came from that. I don't think the writers even replied and whatnot. Um, that's kind of cool. Do, what do you think that's going to be? Do you think we're going to get a new campaign with Iden Versio more in the Mandalorian era? Or I think uh, they should implement Iden Versio in Rangers of the New Republic. That would be very cool. I think it'd be cool to bring Aiden into live action through that show. And that's what Battlefront 3 can be is Aiden's like Ranger group or whatever. That would be really cool. I'd like to see if not, if not a Battlefront 3, something, some kind of game that is a sequel to the the campaign of Battlefront 2. I just, I just really kind of like know like they are like i don't have any information but like i just know they are gonna make a battlefront not to one of those kind of things and 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 to make it bigger and better in all ways before um 
And I think that's cool that they're keeping with Aiden or at least something of that caliber because that's a good story. It's a little short, but it's a good story. And I wish that I am glad that they're not just giving up on it. They're going to keep going. Yeah. Uh, I really hope we see more Janina in the future in Aiden, especially. But uh, next we have another story that has to do with um, Gina Carano surprise. Uh, Cara Dune action figures have been canceled by Hasbro. Um, So naturally people are not going to be able to complete their collections. So that means that all the prices for all the other uh, Cara Dune figures are going to skyrocket. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I don't, I don't really follow the collecting toy scene that That's much. That's cool. That's cool, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I um, see someone on TikToks that like people have some cool stuff and But I, I feel for all the collectors that like they the completists that have yeah. to have everything and um that's kind of a bummer for them. Uh but also I don't really I'm indifferent. Because using using Gina Carano's likeness gives her like supports her and gives her money if you're purchasing things that have to do with her. So that's kind of where I'm in the middle of the road on it. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't really have much to say on it. Uh, I saw a TikTok that replaced the scene in the uh, episode of season two, the one that Carl Weathers directed, uh, where they go and infiltrate the uh, the base on Navarro. And she drives the transport shuttle off the cliffside. But um, they photoshopped Gina Carano out of it and replaced it with the Coca-Cola freestyle machine. Oh, my God. You know, like the big red one <laughs> with the touch screen. And it's, yes. it's the whole it's like the end of that episode. But it's just like this giant like Coca-Cola PDF. And I love that. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's too good because like it doesn't tell you either. It just kind of yeah. just starts and then it's yeah. like that. <laughs> That's so funny. Well, yeah, if you guys wanted our thoughts and you didn't know, we have a we have a podcast episode out of our reaction to the whole Gina Carano situation. So if you want to check that out and you want to know our in-depth thoughts on that, go check that episode out. Um, but other than that, what is up next for the news? So this is our final piece of news that we have. Mm-hmm. A new Boba Fett comic was teased by Marvel recently. Uh, a post on StarWars.com showed the bounty hunter in all black armor in front of a wall riddled with blast marks wielding a blaster pistol that kind of looks like uh jango fett's blaster pistol mm-hmm. and uh he's got this cool like it's like an axe spear it's like got like a big like mace end on it and it's got very like mandalorian axe. yeah very very mandalorian uh and the caption of the image is uh bubble fett dot 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 nowhere to hide uh that's awesome i i think that'll be super cool just kind that is of right down your alley oh 100 <laughs> yeah. percent like it's like <laughs> Empire Boba Fett just just doing Boba Fett stuff. I uh, I have the original uh oh it's on my iPad. I'll look at it real quick. The uh the Boba Fett book and it's the uh so the mark of the would bounty you, hunter. Would you say or that no, it's the it's, book of Boba Fett? It's uh the Mandalorian armor. I think that's what it's called. Um, yeah, the Mandalorian armor. It's book one of the bounty hunter series, and it's Boba Fett's book. And this is apparently like the book that like. Everyone was like, oh, Boba Fett's awesome. <laughs> like, My joke was completely skipped over, but it's okay. Oh, oh. <laughs> I said, would you say that it's the book of Boba Fett? Oh, yeah, I did hear that. Sorry. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but I think that's all we got. That's all we got 
for the news this week. Um, kind of a slow week, um, minus the whole Gina Carano situation. But other than that, I think that's all we have for the news. Now for the main event of this week, we are going to be talking about Into the Dark by Claudia Gray, the second High Republic novel um, that came out. Just for a warning for anybody who has not read the book for this this first section, this will be spoiler free. So if you just want to know our initial reaction to the book and you don't want to know any details, listen for the next about two minutes and we will give a warning when we're starting to go into spoilers. So that is your warning. You have been warned. Jackson, what is your big picture reaction to Into the Dark? Um, I loved how different of a uh, tonal shift this had compared to Light of the Jedi. I loved how different of a book this one felt. Yeah. Um, I loved how humane they made the characters in this one. They gave uh, it, it. Claudia Gray expresses a lot of the inner turmoil feelings that goes through a Jedi in this, and I really yes. like the self-word looking back in you know i really liked the uh the inward kind of questions that a lot of people have in this book and just kind of it's not necessarily a big epic tale it's more kind of these characters like getting over their trauma to help them in the situation that they are in yeah um and i think claudia gray did a very good job at uh making each character's problem hit like just so hard for you you know yeah and, and just, she she knows how to write characters absolutely so absolutely. well i i immediately connect with every character she writes and i didn't expect to connect with a rock but i love geode <laughs> dude that's not a spoiler but there is a I, character that is literally a rock uh this book really threw me off because it's a lot funnier than i anticipated yeah, yeah. um and I am so glad that it that it is uh, because it makes those it makes those bone chilling scenes or you know in chapters and parts just so much more bone chilling. You know, I yeah. points where I'm just like, oh, that like the actual seriousness of the book uh, is done very well because most of the other most of the book is kind of quote unquote lighthearted, but it's not. You know, and I love how the story is a lot more contained than something like Light of the Jedi. Absolutely, it's like it focuses on one singular mission and kind of you get to see the characters' relationships develop a lot more, and you just get to know these characters super well. And I love how Claudia Gray puts them into situations that a that forces them to learn lessons. And I think the the dialogue is uh, very good at essentially capturing each character really well every yeah. time. Like, no character just kind of feels like, like, oh, this is just a side character. Like, she wrote this real quick. Like, even characters like Scover, you know, Scover Bine, who... Yeah. Uh, you know, it, the the brief little moment she's in the book, it I think that uh, you can just kind of understand everything that like I'm trying to do this without spoilers. <laughs> you can. Um, yeah. You get the vibe of the character really well. Everyone the way is she just writes. A, everyone is a very real character and a very real uh, and have very real emotions. And that is best expressed through the dialogue, I felt, because. Yeah, for sure. Everybody just had even it felt like speech patterns. I was never bored of reading each person's perspective in this. Yeah. So, yeah, but I think that's as much as we can get into spoiler free. Um, if you do want to read in the dark and um, 
you don't want to be spoiled, then just you can turn off this episode right now and save it for a rainy day whenever you're done reading it. And if you have read it and you want to know our thoughts, we're about to get into it. And if you don't care either way, keep listening. We don't care. So um, what did you think? I just want to get into this because I know we were talking about this earlier. What did you think of the Dren- the, the Drenger? Drenger? I think the, it's Drenger. I say Drengear. Drengear. Okay. Drengear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds more Star Wars than Drenger. Um, <laughs> what, did you, what was your reaction to the Dren gear? It's, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the Star Wars, uh, spotlight that came out for it actually makes them a lot more scarier than I initially found them. Yeah, me too. Uh, they, <laughs> they reminded me. I was imagining me, a bunch of Groot. They reminded from, me of the aliens from the Simpsons. <laughs> like, all they want to do is eat and they just don't oh, talk yeah. in full grammatical sentences and they're just kind of like big dumb brutes but like they're also yeah. like like <laughs> und- indestructible warriors that like <laughs> they're just like yeah we just want to eat everything yeah and <laughs> they, they just like th- I, they try to be so scary but they're just pieces they're like plants <laughs> I don't know. I, I saw a comment under that, that spotlight that Star Wars put out and it said, oh, no, here comes Darth Salad. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's just it because like when it happened, when I, I think it's in wreaths, wreath, do you say wreath or wraith? Wreath. Wreath. OK, I said wreath. Uh, in wreath's perspective, he's like it, when it all clicked, I was like, oh, was like this does make sense. Like, this isn't a stupid decision. It just it is just not what I anticipated. And it's yeah. and it's it's more the species itself that I find comical um, when it's like, you know, like you guys were trapped on the Amaxine station and they're all like, oh, the Amaxines. And they all just start laughing. I'm like, they're big, ugly brutes. Like they're mm-hmm. they're, they're they're the brutes from Halo that just want to, like, destroy things and just like they won't address people directly. And I thought it was hysterical. And yeah. It just um, we'll it caught into, me we'll, off guard. We'll get into them a little bit later, but let's kind of go through how how we felt about the different characters that are in um, this book. Wreath Silas, I think, is a character that I connected to so much because I feel like if I was a Jedi, I wouldn't want to do anything else but learn about Jedi just history read and, and Jedi understand, stories, yeah. <laughs> and I wouldn't really want to like go into battle as much because that's just how i am but i really i really connected with wreath as a character and i i I think he was one he was one of my favorites in this book um i love how honorable wreath was yes is i love how yeah the whole time he's like just dreading going to the frontier he just wants to read his books but when it comes time and like he's faced with it like he is an excellent jedi and is just so good at being able to adapt to any situation that i don't think he realizes how useful he would have been on the frontier especially with jorah mally at his side um and his relationship with jorah and how he looks up to her so much and the way the way that jorah the way that she goes about teaching him lessons and the way that she goes about training him is so wise and so useful. Like she, the whole, um, the, the Kyber arch. Yeah. The Kyber arch, the Kyber arch thing where she basically says that no one crosses it alone. And he always took that literally. And then by the end of the book, he realizes the lesson behind that of, you know, 
you're basically standing on the shoulders of everyone that came before you and that's what really matters and that's that's basically what Jorah's trying to teach him i think that's uh, how i interpreted it, it. it i yes uh, it's like it's basically don't you be can't, don't be selfish you can't do everything alone you can't you do everything alone system. that's exactly what it, yeah you can't do everything alone and yeah it takes reith that whole the whole novel to essentially figure out that he can't do everything alone which i think is funny because i didn't find reith naturally a uh soloist i didn't find him as the person who was like screw this i'm gonna go salt like save the day you know he was just kind of yeah i think that was more more des absolutely yeah and that's i think why he felt so much of an as an outsider away because jorah malley's previous padawan was this rootin tootin you know hack and slashing jedi jedi knight and uh, yearning for adventure and always wanting to get into battles can wreath stand up and you know meet those expectations when wreath is a whole different kind of jedi he was someone who prided himself in the wisdom that he had attained and used that to help the people around him rather than just try and find the next swashbuckling tale he can tell yeah um and then we end up meeting affy and her crew with Leox and Geode. I love them so much. (laughs) (laughs) Geode is what broke it to me that this book was going to be comedic because the rock threw me off like every time and it it got it well, because me- <laughs> i was like wait is this just like like a, a rock and they just named it geode and like it's just like a fun <laughs> joke but he's actually a, he's a, a, a he's living a, being he's a sentient rock <laughs> yeah it's like that's I, like the coolest thing that i can actually connect with a rock i really liked how claudia gray's uh, like narrator storytelling um, made it feel like it was very natural in the sense of they didn't know everything. You always worry about books. You know, the narrator actually knows yeah. everything that's going on. Uh, I think Claudia Gray did a really good job at keeping the confusion of Geode of mm-hmm. just, you know, the rock replied back with nothing because it's a rock. And you're like, yeah, like why? Or, or it should be like the rock didn't reply. Yeah. But Reith knew exactly <laughs> what he Reith meant. Un- he understood. Yeah. I was like, okay, we You're don't like, understand. Cool. <laughs> um, yeah, it- it's so funny because when in G- whenever Geode's introduced, um, it's we're kind of in Reith's mind and um like from Reith's POV, and he's just like, Wait, this is just a this is just a rock. And then what Claudia Gray writes is sometimes the force had a sense of humor. And I <laughs> I love that yeah, so like, much that sometimes the forest has a sense of humor. <laughs> uh, too good. And I loved how sometimes accepting... the force has got to do a tight five at a comedy yeah. club. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's going to, it's going to pull a quickie real quick. Yeah. Uh, I love how accepting that Leox and Affy were as well. Yeah. I, I love the family that they were. And like, that was something that they all kind of knew within because, you know, the whole book Affy's worried about, you know, proving her worth to Scover and trying to do what's right. And she thinks she's trying to, she thinks she's uncovering this big conspiracy when really it's, you know, she just kind of works for a trade guild. Like Mm -hmm. not all trade girls are clean. Um, But um, I love that the whole time, like the question of Leox and Geodes, like loyalty is never, never up there. It's never something she has to worry about. And I think it's great that, no one understands the Jedi. 
Yeah. Uh, they're they're calling them wizard monks. <laughs> uh, it makes the fact that the empire made them completely obsolete so quickly more like reasonable in my head because nobody knows who they are. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because Affy just can never refer to them as Jedi. She's yeah, like, yeah, the whole time like, with the monks. Hey, go, what about that one head monk dude? Where, where is he? <laughs> the monks are flying now, and they're yeah. like, yeah, they do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think they do that sometimes. Um, but we always hear in Wreath's head throughout the entire book different quotes and sayings from Jorah that that she has taught Wreath. And one of them that really stood out to me, I, I wrote this down because like immediately I read it up when I read it, I had to be, I was like, I have to write this down. Um, and I forgot, I forgot when this happens. Cause it was whenever I first started reading it. But the quote is whenever you feel foolish, remember that you have been given an opportunity to learn the truly foolish act is to refuse that opportunity. And I think that quote alone encapsulates Wreath's character entirely. Like that is Wreath as a character right there. Completely agree. I completely um, agree. But yeah, I think another character, well, I guess they kind of come as a come as a duo in this book is um Orla and Comac. Comac was my favorite character of this book. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love Comac. His personal struggle with the order the entire time I loved so much and I loved how vulnerable it made him to the point that they're like yeah sometimes he kind of just like sets off like sometimes comax not himself and i just he gets so in his head he's so in his head and he just needs someone to tell him it's gonna be okay like yeah he's like all of us (laughs) yeah yeah right and i just i love that the whole time there's like this disbelief and uh like I'm trying to think of the word I want to use. He just doesn't have full faith in the order. Yeah. Um, And I think that's something that uh, has been seen and explored and obviously is known about the Jedi order, but I'm glad that it's becoming more common, but a lot of Jedi really did struggle with their internal feelings is that they weren't perfect. They weren't perfect. Yeah. And whenever he, whenever he's breaking the news that, you know, Dez had supposedly died to like the main Jedi masters on Coruscant, he's like, why aren't you guys? Why don't you guys react to this? Yeah, One of your all Jedi like, just died. Like, ah, oh, shucks. Like that sucks. He's like, what is wrong with you guys? Someone just died, and you're just throwing it to the side. What's going on? Like, and that's where I wrote down that Jedi. A lot of Jedi in this era have a hard time dealing with lack of expressing emotions and lack of attachments because we see that, especially in the light, light of the Jedi, we see a lot of a little bit of attachment happening between, you know, we got Avar and Elzar and all those characters. And here we have Comac and, and Orla. And then again with, um, you know, Wreath and his, yeah, his uh, the, deal. They're a lot more, um, open about the emotional expressions that they give. And I, I think that that is eventually going to, Something I just think that's going to happen enough that something's going to happen. And they make too much of a point to it's happening. Yeah, it's too much. Yeah. Yeah. But I think um, I think, yeah, that'll eventually be the downfall of this uh, of this high high Republic Jedi perfection order. Well, Um, I worry, too, is who's going to leave and become a Sith? 
Yeah, I think it's got to happen. Who's finally going to give in? Who's going to be the one to snap? It'll either be that or from Light of the Jedi, um, they'll do something with Loden. I think that they're probably going to like brainwash Loden. I, I, the, the part in the book when Dez is kind of mind controlled by the Dren gear and he's just kind of this foot soldier. I think that might be Markian's role. Like, like his plan is to make like, I see him as kind of like, uh, those were zombies, but like the dark energon and transformers of like, essentially just controlling this army of like Mm -hmm. Jedi that he's, that he's collected. Um, and I wonder if some of that will be people who volunteer because they no longer have faith in the Jedi order. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see where that goes. Um, but kind of the main where a lot of the book takes place is on this abandoned Maxine station. Um, and they come, they kind of, they land on it and they kind of use it as a safe base for all people who, are kind of lost right now because the great disaster just happened with right. the hyperspace they get, disaster. They get so all the thrown hi- out of hyperspace. So yeah. hyperspace is basically closed at this point, and there are a few ships that go to this space station to seek refuge, basically. Um, and a lot of the book takes place on this on this big space station. What, one thing I wanted to ask you: How did you imagine this, like the interior and exterior of the space station? Because I, I had a hard time envisioning what she was meaning by like these tunnels and this atrium um, thing. The Star Wars spotlight showed an image of it, and it actually, yeah. it really, it solidified it. It was I was close with it. I didn't, I didn't see the uh, the like the three rings on the top and bottom. I kind of saw it as they were rings that layered over each other that yeah that's how and I that was it was essentially too. like a big saturn's ring that like it could move if it wanted to but it it didn't and yeah, yeah that's how i pictured it yeah um, I, I i was kind of imagining the whole um what, what did they call it it started with an a the, the area with all the plants oh the uh the aboratorium or yeah. whatever something like that abort yeah i think it's aboratorium aboratorium or something like that Something like that. I've never heard that word before in this book. The plant room. (laughs) We're going to call it the plant room from now on. But in the picture on the spotlight, it's like planet sized almost. And I was just imagining like a room. (laughs) Yeah. I I was like, oh, there's just like this this room with a bunch of plants. (laughs) Yeah. um, Because I I guess. Yeah. I don't know. But I thought that that was cool and different because we never really see a lot with plants and botany in star wars i really liked the actual like concept of the amaxines itself they felt like this even like they felt like ancient mandalorians like that's what they if you read bloodline the amaxines actually you know oh really they are they show up in bloodline yeah oh damn anyway go on that's cool though uh yeah i like how it's uh, the remnants of the, you know, this this superpower species that even then they were destroyed by the Drengear and yeah. eventually it was the Sith who trapped them. Yeah. And there's these droids called 8T droids and they're basically like astromech heads and they have like little shears and things they're hanging like, from they're them. They're gardener toys. They're gardener Gar- droids. Gardener droids. Gardener droids. Basically, if you if you hurt the plants, they will attack you. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's awesome. It's it's so cool. And like they use that against the Dren gear eventually. 
Oh yeah, yeah. They like trick them out, and I love the uh, the little the, the the flower they put in their belts, and they're yeah, like, yeah, they have they have like, little capsules of flowers. They shouldn't hurt us now. Like we should be good. <laughs> yeah, because they know if they hurt them, they'll hurt the plants. Good stuff. Um, what did you think of? So there's on the station. There's these idols that are supposedly feeding off a lot of dark force energy. How did you react to that? What did you think that was about? Um, I just, I kind of went with it as I went because I didn't really know what, because the force can be put in a lot of different stuff. So, um, I really actually liked the whole reveal that the idols weren't can containing the dark side well they were they were containing the dark side in the station but like the idols themselves weren't of the dark side they were to they weren't attached they weren't attached to the dark side the dark side was they were protecting the outside from the darkness um and i think that's really cool because uh the whole time with the idols i felt that the it's just this spooky tone it's the part specifically when orla is walking the idols to the meditation center in the jedi temple yeah. and it's like people just parted just like just watched it as it went by i pictured them like do you ever see arrival the big ships yes. and the big egg yes. ships like that's kind of how i pictured them not as huge obviously but just like right. the the dark sleekness of it that gave it this like chilling feeling that like made you think they were bad and i thought it was really cool how we discover i don't know if we've ever this has ever been revealed before but the jedi temple on coruscant is built on top of an ancient sith temple yeah i thought that was an interesting thing too i don't think that's necessarily out of the blue when it comes to the jedi not like with the jedi main jedi temple i mean more just kind of like using common like force sensitive areas that the jedi eventually i think just kind of overtook i would assume a lot of places were probably originally owned by the sith i mean they ruled the galaxy at one point yeah there was a big sith empire yeah that they're alluding to um but this it's this room that they put all of their ancient sith or like dark side artifacts they have to contain in the jedi temple called the shrine of the in the depths <laughs> it's like i picked at first i thought it was like the warehouse in uh the first in, in uh raiders of the lost ark but it was more felt like odin's throne room of like all these like what else is in there you know and then so in between there's some interludes in this book of 25 years before kind of telling Orla and Comax backstory almost there's, they have a really troubled past. Um, did those, did those chapters ever jar you in the middle of reading? The last one did the last one because yeah. I forgot it happened. And like, I forgot it was happening. I just think it would have been a lot more effective if you just took, cause they were really short. They were like three or four pages each. If you just took that in those entire six chapters and put them in one chapter. So you remembered what happened the last time. Yeah. Right. Uh, because I would, I had a hard time being like, Oh wait, yeah. What happened uh, the last time? Cause we, that happened seven <laughs> chapters ago. Um, yeah. And it, it's the big snakes. It, it, it the last one, like I said, was the one that I was just like, I almost felt I was like, oh, these are still happening. <laughs> it's like, yeah. oh, this is still going. I was like, I'm glad that we're rounding this up. But uh, well, because at first you don't know where she's going with this. It's like, okay, yeah, that's true. there's there's a, a great uh, not it's not a disaster. There's a they called it the Irum Irono crisis. Um, 
and I, I it was referred to early in the book and I was like what is this and I didn't realize we would go six different chapters explaining exactly what happened there but I think it's cool that we have such a we have Orla and Comac with such troubled pasts and we kind of see how their relationship is and how long they've known each other for like you know as they say at least 25 years I like how the whole book is kind of using your past issues to help you learn the problems that you're in now it's it's learning your mistakes that you have but i i think what's interesting is that i think the person who successfully did that between orla and comac is orla orla was able to kind of accept her peace and adapted herself in that sense by essentially changing her career to become a way seeker um and I think the other side of that is Comac, who still struggles with his the death of his Jedi Master. And I don't think it isn't until the very end that Comac necessarily realizes uh, it is all going to be okay until when Wreath asks him to become his new Jedi Master, yeah. which I, I knew that was going to happen. Oh, yeah. I thought that was going to happen like whenever he said, am I going to get a new master after he learns that Jorah dies, his old master. And I thought they were just going to say, yeah, it's uh, it's master Comac right here. Um, I thought for a second, he was going to ask Des, uh, Ooh. and kind of hold it as like, you are someone who, who got the full teachings of what master Jorah wanted yeah. is, you know, you are someone who could probably carry on that mantle. But I also understand, I also agree with the choice of doing Comac because like Comac says in himself, he's like, I, the best way to learn is by teaching it itself, which, you know, that maybe not a hundred percent. I get your point. <laughs> it's like, I get what yeah. you're trying to say. Um, <clears throat> and I think they kind of have, I don't want to say contrasting ways of, and do, of using the force and you know the contrasting views on being jedi but i think that wreath has a lot to learn from comac and comac has a lot to learn from wreath i agree but they both connect on the sense of they comac they call comac the historian yeah is they both love the pursuit of knowledge and i think that that's where they're going to bond and grow they're kind and, of the yin and yang yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. so that's cool um, so back on the Maxine station, we have that whole first half of the book there. We run into a couple characters called Nan and Haig. Now they're sketchy as heck as when you first meet them because they're, because Nan is weirdly nice and overly nice to, to Wreath and everybody. And I called it immediately. I said, oh, I bet they're secretly Nile. And guess what? They were secretly Nile. <laughs> um, I didn't really think much of them at all. And it wasn't until that it was when Reethi's like, they're Nile. And I was just like, oh, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. I was like, that makes a lot of sense. I think it's funny that uh, is like, I, he recognizes their ship right away. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, ah, I was like, that sucks. I was like the cute kid and the old Zabrak are, are actually evil bad guys. That's that's disappointing. Yeah, and and Hag goes out like a chump. Hag <laughs> does, does go out like a chump. <laughs> um, while we're on the conversation, let's talk about that little final little tidbit where Nan meets Marky and Roe. Yeah. Um, do you think that Nan will kind of be brought up in the ranks to help him by a side, especially since she kind of just has this information of the Jedi? 
I think eventually that'll happen because I think what they're doing here is with these all these different stories, they're kind of having them come and branch together for one uh-huh. big climactic Absolutely. At least, at least series of books or just one climactic book that we'll get at the end. It's like I Avengers think, Endgame. Yeah, it's like they're putting the pieces together for us to get there and we're on the very beginning stages of that. So I think that there's certainly room for that to happen. Um, but yeah, one thing I noticed, I just wanted to bring this up. One thing I noticed that is kind of cool is that a lot of the events and just the higher public in general and like in this book too they start to echo a lot of real life events. You can tell a lot of these books were written in like the quarantine era. Yeah. Right. Because we have like, I think it's after the great disaster on Coruscant, they say like, Oh, sorry. All of the hospitals are completely booked and filled out. Like we have people sitting on the ground dying in pain because there's no room for them in a hospital. (laughs) There's a hyper, there's a hyperspace closure and people are quote unquote quarantined to their planet. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, th- that's just one thing I noticed I had to write down and mention. Um, what did you think about the reveal that Des actually lived? <laughs> well, when I thought Des died, I was blown away because like uh, the fact like <laughs> they thought it was the the symbols that essentially just like burnt him to a crisp and just like evaporated him. And I was like, that's hardcore. I know. Like, and Reed's talking like, about a- how like that is the most <laughs> painful, excruciating death I could ever think of. And that happened to this. And you're just like, oh, oh, yeah, no, it definitely it punched me in the face. And you're just like, wow, that yeah. dude's like dead, dead. And then he isn't. But um, it isn't. I think it they brought him up too much after he died to see i thought it was all gonna be like inner turmoil stuff that was what the route they were going was that wreath had experienced a death close hand and it was kind of his push to really kind of uh i think more uh understand someone who can be a master obviously he didn't know that at the time but i thought that des was going to be the death that made wreath realize some kind of just like very human emotions and feelings is kind of what I'm getting at. Uh, yeah. Obviously it was also Jorah Malley, his master who he eventually finds out dies. Um, and it was going to be that hit. It was like, he lost both of the people. It was mm-hmm. like, what? like that's horrible. Like that's horrible. And, and then you realize that he had, he, he had a vision back before that even happened to Des. I think it was before that happened to Des. Um, whenever he was in the, uh, the aboratum yeah he could like the shadow visions yeah yeah, there's like a weird shadow with a blue lightsaber attacking him and he didn't know what it meant he said that's weird we're getting these weird visions it was a glimpse into the future that actually happened to him when he got on that one uh drengear planet yeah honestly all of uh the point of view uh des chapters where he's uh being like brainwashed and uh like hip, hypnotized by the Drengear, honestly, like scared, scared me a little bit. Like it, it made yeah. my skin crawl and it, it was a very spooky uh, explanation in someone's mind just being horribly distorted and clouded. Yeah. This book is just so good at making you feel super uneasy and scared. And then the next page you're dying of laughter. Yeah. And like such human emotions. That's yeah. kind of, I think that it, it, absolutely just knocked it out of the park and showing that these are just people too. Yeah. Um, 
another thing that I just wanted to um wanted to bring up that was kind of funny is whenever Wreath first meets the Drengear, instead of being scared and cowering, he's like, "Oh wait, you plants are you guys are sentient? What's happening? Yeah. Oh, is that a fly, a Venus flytrap as your mouth? What is that?" And the, the Drengear don't like refer to him directly. Yeah. They they kind of like state everything like they're giving a pep talk. Yeah, and I just love, you know, Wreath's big sacrifice um, where he thought he was going to die um, whenever he was kind of, he, he was basically saving, trying to save everybody so they could get away while he powers down the ship and gets all the escape pods out of there and like, and saved by the rock. <laughs> <laughs> it's good so old, good. Good old Dio topping it's in so, the last he minute. He thinks he's going to get sucked into the vacuum of space. He's about to fly out of the airlock and die forever. And there's Geo just, just chilling. Face plants the sentient rock. Oh my gosh. It, it was so good. I was, it's too good. As soon as that happened, I... Yeah! <laughs> That's that's a cheer moment in the theater for me, because my boy Geode coming in clutch. Coming in clutch. Yeah. <sighs> Too good. And then right after that, um, something that's alluded to that is kind of another cool Easter egg kind of thing is we're also not introduced to, but it's brought up um, Force Heal. Um, I think Comax says, did you try Did you try um, some healing on Dez after Dez is recovering? And he's like, yeah, I tried, but I just don't think I've, I'm, I'm doing enough. And we realize that it's actually a, a medicinal cure. But did you pick that up whenever that... I did. On that part? Um, and I... It kind of pushes me to... It, it furthers my thought of like the amount of open emotions and doing things like force healing kind of uh, will eventually lead to something that will be this downfall of the high Republic. Something's going to happen. I'm wondering, yeah, I'm wondering if it somehow becomes either banned or frowned upon to use force healing. I think and that's why we never see any prequel era. Well, I'm pretty Jedi. sure they talk about it in like the prequels or so I, I think they talk about it somewhere somehow that like it was it wasn't allowed. It, it it just it it was kind of like bending the rules of like the force and just like things need to die like you can't stop death kind of thing. Yeah, I can and see I, that. I wonder if that's because of whatever's going to happen in the High Republic. Yeah. We have someone's, a lot to speculate about still about this whole era. Someone's going to cheat death, you know? Yeah. Um, you want to do a fan casting? Yeah, I think we can do that. Uh, we like to end all of our book reviews with um, with a fan casting for people we would like to see in the roles of these characters if they were in a movie. Um, so let's go first. Who, who do you got for Wreath? Um, I have two for Wreath. Um, I also think this would make an excellent movie. I think that this if as of right now if you did a high republic movie it would be this yeah um, i love it i love it my cast for wreath is tom holland and uh either that or uh thomas brody sangster who is <laughs> um he's ferb from phineas and ferb oh really um he's like in his mid-20s but he looks like he's a kid he he's always just kind of had that look he's also in i'm pretty sure he's in like nanny mcphee and uh Thomas Brody Sangster. He's in uh, he's in the Maze Runner movies too. And like, oh, do you ever see Love Actually? No. All right, you need to see Love Actually, especially with your girlfriend's good Christmas movie. 
Um, oh, that's not what I wanted to do. He's He's got that kind of younger face, and I think Tom Holland as well. They both have that kind of, they're a man, but they're still young. They're still learning, and I think they both kind of hold that composure. What about you? Um, this is going to be kind of weird, but I think it would be cool to see him step out of his comfort zone is Timothy Chalamet. I also thought about Timothy Chalamet. Yeah. Um, but I also think... This is kind of uh, this is kind of a spoiler for another casting I have, but I think he'd be great for either Wreath or Des. Timothy Chalamet. Yeah. Um, I also thought about him for Des as well, and I ended up I, I have a weird choice for Des on mine, so we'll talk okay. about that. Okay, who you got for Affy? For Affy, I have Zendaya. Um, oh, nice. Uh, I think her and the pick I have for Leox as well, I think fits into that of that. Uh, I think Zendaya is really good at kind of being able to depict that uh, rough and tough. And like, if you've ever watched Euphoria, she's just yeah, like, I've watched that all character. Euphoria. Yeah. So good. Uh, that character just is someone who struggles. So I think she'd be able to kind of implement that. And like, this is a person who has lived off the land for the lived quote unquote, lived off the land at space. Um, someone who gets it, you know, but it's still young. Yeah. Um, I have, I don't know if you've ever heard of Tiffany Smith. I have not. She, she hasn't, she is a lot of, she's in a lot of, um, a little bit of, smaller things and she was in like a hallmark movie recently but she's also in the star wars kind of media space she was on collider jedi council um she um is doing a lot of cool stuff media wise but she looks exactly like affy on the cover of the book yes yeah, she does yeah um so i thought that would be perfect that's funny yeah she looks just like her holy cow and she could play 17 easy yeah no that she doesn't look yeah i agree who do you have for comac for comac i have and this is gonna be you're gonna be like oh yeah hugo weaving (laughs) oh yeah Yeah. i'm kind of in that similar caliber i have michael shannon very nice. Yeah, I, I thought yeah. Christian Bale for a hint. Um, I think he'd be able to pull it off. But I think Michael Shannon, I thought, was definitely. He's such a good actor. I love Michael Shannon. Ooh, no, never mind. Hit, hit me with it. No, I don't care. Hit me with it. I was going to say, if you take a younger Michael Shannon and put him in Marky and Row. <laughs> he would be a mar- a good Marky and Row. Yeah. Who do you got for Orla? Um, for Orla, I had Olivia Wilde. Ooh. Um, she looks like the, the drawings I've seen or like the pictures of Orla that I've seen, like just her species and like the very thinness, they, they're kind of gaunty. Yeah. Um, which I think is funny because initially I found Orla to be uh, a kind of a heavier brutish kind of person. Really? Um, yeah, I don't know why that's just kind of the attitude that I initially matched that with. And then when I looked up the species she was, I was like, oh, that's just very wrong. I'm just dead wrong on that. Yeah. I think she looks like Olivia Wilde to me. You know who I have? Hmm. Tilda Swinton. Oh, that also would have been good. Yeah. Ooh, that would have been so good. Yeah. Yeah. I just think she has the, the very, the very calm, speaking in uh, speaking in 
and rhymes and riddles all yeah. the time yeah. type vibe. Um, who do you got for Leox? <laughs> I have Matthew McConaughey. Yes, I have him too. Because <laughs> I saw the drawing and I was like, yeah, wait, that's just like, wow, space that Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> I completely agree. <laughs> Yeah, I think him and Zendaya's chemistry would have been so good. Yes. But do you you know who else? They're already in Star Wars, but I was almost imagining his voice whenever I was reading Leox's lines, and that's Woody Harrelson. Oh, that would have been good, too. Yeah. Yeah. Just kind of that, like, weird wisdom that Leox had, you know? Yeah. While also being a space stoner. Yeah. Just for just for um, old time's sake, R.I.P. Our girl Jora Malley. Who do you have if we have to have Jora Malley in there? I have Kerry Washington. Um, I think that Kerry Washington would be able to hold that uh, that wisdom and that calming peace Ooh, yeah. that Jora Malley kind of carries, and that's what Reith really remembers her for is that soothing calmness that his master can can help him with and i think carrie washington i just i hear her voice and it just feels like someone just kind of holding you and caressing you and you're just like oh i just i feel calm now yeah um i think that'd be a good choice my choice is a little bit i don't want to say that it is um unoriginal but it's something that you'd be like oh yeah i can definitely see that is um Robin Wright. Oh, see, like House of Cards and Wonder Woman. She's not really. really, I don't think she would fit the species very well, but I think she would play the character. She wouldn't make a bad Orla. Or Orla. Yeah. She wouldn't make a bad love, Robin Wright. Yeah, she wouldn't make a bad Orla. So, well, cool. Hey, my final question for you that I have is. Overall, with this book, how did you feel that it was compared to Light of the Jedi? Did you like this book more? I think I liked Light of the Jedi more. Um, I think I just had... I, I think it felt more adventurous. The Light of the, Light of the Jedi felt more adventurous than this, because mm-hmm. this is a lot more contained and a lot more of a character piece than anything. So I think that by a smidgen, I like Light of the Jedi a little bit more than this one. But I like the way this was written a lot more than Light of the Jedi. See, the reasons that you just stated comparing the two are the reasons why I like Into the Dark more. I like really? that it's I prefer that character piece, that self-contained kind of quick story yeah. that still was able to be part of the bigger scale. Because, yeah, I agree. Light of the Jedi feels like this big epic tale and it's awesome but i love those smaller different stories that show the sides you weren't naturally expecting at first uh and i think into the dark was able to very successfully pull that off and show you characters you wouldn't necessarily you probably wouldn't have seen right away in light of the jedi you know yeah i think the way it goes is light of the jedi is that blockbuster star wars movie that you go and see and that is like the big blockbuster adventure of the summer into the dark is a season of rebels yeah yeah it's dark it's different it's characters that you grow to care and love i hope we see more of everybody from this book yeah everybody Um, including the dead ones (laughs) on my copy there's a little snippet of out of the shadows the sequel to this i didn't i I didn't read it actually i didn't didn't want to i wanted to walk in i've been walking into each book completely just (laughs) unaware 
Me too. So I, it'll be cool to it'll be cool to see where they go with and how they interconnect these stories because we're already getting a little bit of that because we got at the end there we got uh, Reith and Comac on the Starlight Beacon with all the rest of the Jedi. So we'll see where that goes. It'll be cool. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, that was our full review of Into the Dark by Claudia Gray. If you did not read it, I'm sure you were very confused as usual. So if you didn't read it, please go check it out. It's a really fun read. Um, but if you want to check us out on social media, you can find us on Instagram at Through Imperialized Pod, Twitter, Imperialized Pod, and YouTube. You can search us up through Imperialized Podcast. Jackson, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Quacks and Scalene. That's Q U A C K S O N and Scalene like the track. And you can follow my photography Instagram uh, at Deline underscore photography. Deline spelled D-A-L-E-E-N. Braden, what about you? You can find me on Instagram at Braden Ledbetter and on Twitter at Braydathalon. And don't forget to leave us a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts. It really helps out the show. And follow us on Spotify and all those podcast streaming platforms and don't be afraid to shoot us a question uh comment on our videos tag us on twitter you know if you've got a question about star wars we'd love to you know have a conversation and answer it for you and also we take messages on our anchor page we take voice messages so if you want to go to our anchor page add a voice message we can always uh check those out and you'll even play your voice on the show so if you want to do that option we will be checking those out every single week but jackson do you have anything to say before we head out for the week i got nothing i'm excited to read this next one yeah it'll be it'll be a a fun summer with all these new books coming out but i agree i agree Um, We'll see you next week for more Star Wars news. But until then, may the force. May the force be with you. I was reading it with you. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) We're just going to fade out now. Okay, bye. That's fine. (laughs)